What's up, everybody? I'm Bob Walters. Welcome to the Lockup Sports Weekend Wrap-Up. The brackets are out. We are one day away from the first four. We are three days away from the first round and the body of the tournament. It is a great time of year. Spring is coming. My birthday is coming. And it's the NCAA tournament. And we are going to go through everything. We got a big show for you here today. We got ESPN alum Bob Picozzi. If you don't know the name, you know the voice, I promise. And he did years and years of play-by-play for college basketball, college football for ESPN. And I had just finished a great conversation with him. I cannot wait for you to hear it. We're going to play it for you in just a minute. We, the brackets are out. Listen, it, I, I'm just kind of, you, you digest the brackets for the first day, and then you, you start filling some out, if you're like me. You know, if you're a lunatic like me, that's what you do. I looked at... uh. The East Regional is at the Garden this year, which is very exciting. I love that when the tournament comes to the Garden because for, forever it didn't come here because of the NIT. And now we get it every once in a while. And there's a potential great matchups at the Garden. You could possibly have a Big East matchup if Providence gets their act together. They would have to beat Kentucky and then probably Kansas State. So it's asking, you know, it's asking a lot from, from a team like Providence, but they could possibly match up with Marquette in the Sweet 16. And then in the top half of that bracket, you got Duke, who is a number five seed, and you got Purdue. So you could possibly have a Duke-Purdue, which would be a great uh, regional semifinal at the Garden. So a lot, of, a lot of excitement there, at least for me. I would love to get tickets to that. Uh, other things that, that went on, Rutgers did not make it. There was, there's a lot of up, uh, upheaval from the Rutgers people and the Rutgers crowd about how they, the committee shouldn't have taken an injury into, into account. I mean, listen, I think Rutgers was a tournament team. I think they were good enough to be in the tournament, but you, you can't leave it up to, to judgment like that. They had a bad non-conference schedule. They had three bad quad three losses. They did not play anybody really outside of the Big Ten that was noteworthy. And inside of the Big Ten, they only finished 500. So, listen, if you're going to leave yourself on the bubble, you can't be upset if it bursts on Selection Sunday. And that's what I think about Rutgers. So, you know, you're going to have to do more. you got to schedule better. you got to schedule tougher teams. It's the same thing St. John's does. St. John's didn't play anybody. They were 11-1. and at one point in this season, they didn't play. They didn't play anybody. Those wins are basically they don't count almost when you get when you get here into a selection Sunday. They they just don't count. It's not really a, a big thing. Nobody cares that you beat some random school with five hundred people from the middle of the country in December or at Thanksgiving. So there's a lot of news uh, swirling around. Rick Pitino possibly coming to St. John's. Listen, I hear it a lot. I would love to have Rick Pitino. Love to have Rick Pitino. But he still has business to take care of it against in what is, to me, is a very intriguing matchup against UConn. And then the winner of that will get the winner of the St. Mary's VCU in the second round. So, I listen, I think that UConn-Iona game is, I think you, UConn is a better, obviously UConn's a better team. And we'll, we go over it in the interview in a couple minutes UConn's a better team than Iona, but that's what the beauty of March is you never know. And Iona's got a great coach. Rick Pitino is an all-time coach. And I would be looking at that for an upset. 
Now, I want to tell everybody, make sure you get into our bracket pool. It's ESPN. It's the ESPN uh, bracket app. It's actually called uh, ESPN Tournament Challenge is the app. And the name of the group is Locked Up Sports 2023. So Locked Up Sports 2023. Get the app from ESPN get, or, or go on ESPN.com tournament challenge and you could find it right there fill out your brackets make sure you enter them into our bracket pool if you want a chance to win that trophy we got beautiful trophy i told you it's gonna be like the stanley cup in a couple years you just watch wait and watch so let's get right into the interview uh we talk some uh tournament we talk giants we talk uh yankees it it we talk about announcers which i love to do I don't know if you guys <laughs> love hearing me talk about announcers, but I love that's something I love to do. So it was a great interview. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, here he is, Bob Picozzi. All right, now we're joined by our special guest today, uh, longtime ESPN and Fox Sports college basketball and college football play-by-play announcer, the voice of ESPN Radio Sports Center. You heard him for years on the Mike and Mike show, proud Seton Hall alumni, Bob Picozzi. Bob, thanks for joining the show. My pleasure. My pleasure, Bob. Um, all right, so now let's start with uh, with the tournament. We got um, we're gonna get to everything going forward here, but let's start with the tournament. We had uh, Rutgers. There's some controversy over Rutgers about whether they should be in the tournament. I know the the committee said yesterday that they looked a little bit at the the key injury that they had. I think it could have went either way, but some people feel that they got robbed. They were tenth place in the Big Ten. They they were nineteen and fourteen overall. What do you think about Rutgers? Well, let me preface it by saying. Um Unlike most people who are in the media, past or present, and most fans, uh, I will admit that I am hardly an expert on the metrics which the selection committee uses to select the field and to do the seating. Um, Everybody thinks they're an expert, you know, because they watch the games, but they go by a very set, specific set of metrics. As you know, they replaced the RPI a number of years ago with what they call now the net. And it's all about your, your record uh, versus quad one opponents and uh, and then secondarily your record versus quad one and quad two and bad losses and stuff like that. So when you get to the very end of the field, and that's where Rutgers would have slid in, uh, you know, there's a very, very fine line. Uh, you know, Joe Lenardi, longtime bracketologist at ESPN, who's been doing this for years and he's really good at it. He correctly uh, picked 67 of the 68 teams. He had Rutgers in. He did not have Nevada in. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to uh, lose any sleep over it. And, and, and when I say that, I'm actually good friends with Steve Peichel, Rutgers coach. I've known him forever when I was a local TV sports anchor in the Connecticut market. And a big part of my job is to cover UConn basketball. And he played for UConn. I've known him forever. I, I've done a play-by-play of a number of his games, mostly at Stony Brook, but also did one of his games at at Rutgers. So I I feel for him. But I think, Bob, when you finish in 10th place in your league, no matter how good the league is, you can't really gripe, you know, when when you don't get picked. I mean, I think they had their chances. uh, And so I, I, you know, I'm not not terribly upset about that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. They also, they didn't play a a strong non-conference schedule. That gets you every time. I mean, the 10th place you could kind of live with because it's such a good conference and they have a bunch of teams in this year. But that non-conference schedule, and they have three quad three losses, which is going to kill you every time. 
Right, and uh, I mean, the loss to Seton Hall wasn't a quad three loss, but they lost Seton Hall, remember, you know, and Seton Hall is a team that finished in seventh place in, in the Big East and is only was only too uh, happy, you know, uh, to accept an NIT bid, you know, unlike North Carolina. So I'll be I'll be up late tomorrow night watching my Pirates play Colorado, and and I believe if Seton Hall and Rutgers both win their first two games, they play I, each other. I, I think they will play each other in the quarterfinal at at Rutgers. Rutgers would host the game because they're uh, they're uh, one of the number one seeds in the NIT, and that that would be interesting. That would give the NIT. Uh, you know, some badly needed juice. Yeah, there was actually some teams that turned the NIT down this year. A um, couple teams turned them down. Who was it? Uh, UNC, North Carolina, who was yeah. the preseason number one. They're the first preseason number one. I think that was a little, you know, preemptive. They weren't. They made a surprise run last year to that Final Four. They probably weren't as good as everyone thought they were going to be, and uh, they turned down the NIT this year. Yeah, yeah, they did that. Uh, actually, Seton Hall did it a couple years ago, but that was because of COVID. Uh, you know, and it was a long, tough season for everyone, uh, you know, and, uh, with, 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 uh, well, no, no, it wouldn't have been code. It would, it would, they had a, it was an injury riddled season. They had a bunch of players injured and, uh, and, uh, they turned it down, but it's completely different when you're, when you're a school like North Carolina, um, you know, when you've won six national championships and, you know, you're really a marquee program, but it's not, you know, it's not unprecedented and let's face it, um, you know, as a, as a, somebody who grew up in New Jersey and, and used to love the NIT, it's not what it used to be. And now with the, uh, the NIT semifinals and finals being played in Las Vegas instead of at Madison Square Garden, you know, uh, again, someone from New Jersey and, uh, you know, I've lived in the Northeast my whole life. It, you know, I, I don't have nearly the interest in it, uh, that, that I would have if they continue to play at the Garden. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm a big Garden guy. I love the Garden. I go to the Big East tournament. Speaking of which, you guys had a rough loss to uh, DePaul the other day. But I, I love that the NIT had moved from the Garden because now it allows we get the regional. We got the regional this year. And I love that the NCAA tournament comes to the Garden. Oh, yeah, I, I do that too. But I believe, I believe when the regional was at the Garden before – Oh, I'm, I'm I'm sure the, the NIT semifinals and finals were still there. Yes, they were. Um, they were. You're right. You're right. They're they're always uh, they're always uh, you know a couple days after the NCAA Sweet 16 Elite Eight. They usually play them uh, you know like was Tuesday and Thursday of the the week between the uh, the Elite Eight and and the Final Four. So it's uh, you know it's not it's not what you and of course. I'm old enough to remember when the whole NIT was played at the Garden. You know, the entire tournament was played at the Garden. And I, and when I was a student at Seton Hall, I remember I was fortunate enough to go to the, the uh, NIT semifinals and finals twice. And I saw Pistol Pete Maravich play. It was one of the thrills of my life. Wow. Yeah, he was he's, he's a magician with the with the ball handling, Pete Maravich. Yeah, in the, in the semifinal, you can shoot it pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, um... You know, it's kind of comical. This, I mean, this young man from Detroit. I give him all the credit in the world. He nearly broke Pete's record. But talk about a big time asterisk if he would have broken it. You know, he would have done it in four years. Uh, when Pete did it in three, uh, you know, because freshman couldn't play varsity. That's right. And Pete did it without the three point field goal. And I don't think it's. I think Pete Maravich probably would have averaged maybe six three point field goal makes every game. Wow, and if he played in this era, you know where you play maybe thirty-five games a year, 
you do the math. I mean, take whatever point total he, he scored, divide by three, and then add that to his total. You know, he would have he, he would have scored. He might have scored six thousand points. Wow! If he played in this era with uh, where you could play four years varsity and with the three point field goal. But yeah, seeing seeing the pistol play at the Garden uh, in the NIT semifinals in nineteen seventy was really one of the great thrills of my life. Now you working for ESPN and Fox Sports. Did you ever get to call any NCAA games, or, or because I always thought that was that was would be like ah oh, you know if you work for ESPN like see like Dick Vitale or someone he never got to call an NCAA tournament game. Well, I mean CBS has had exclusive had exclusive rights to the tournament going back to the early eighties forever, and then they joined with Turner Sports, which was a great deal because a great deal for the fans because you know now we can see every game of the tournament, uh, you know, because, uh, but, uh, you know, with the, with the CBS network and, uh, TNT and, uh, uh, TBS and true TV, you can see every game, which is great. So, uh, you know, the ESPN hasn't had broadcast rights, to the NCAA tournament since going back to the eighties, they had the early rounds and, uh, yeah, I read where, uh, uh, Sean McManus, the uh, president of CBS sports offered Dick the opportunity to do it. And he turned it down out of loyalty. The ESPN. So no, no, I never got to do. Uh, now I never got to do an NCAA men's tournament game. But but on the on the flip side, ESPN is the exclusive as exclusive rights to the entire NCAA women's basketball championship. And I did first and second round games of the women's championship for uh, I think sixteen different years at ESPN. Okay, okay. So there you go. So you but did no, do if some. You're, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a men's college basketball play by play announcer, of course that's the. Uh, that's the uh, the elite, you know. That's the Mercedes. When you get to do the NCAA tournament, I'm, you know, I I know Ian Eagle, and I'm thrilled for him that he's going to you know take over uh, doing the play by play after after this uh, Jim Nance's swan song in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I hey, listen. I I I think I'm a huge Ian Eagle fan, and I'm gonna and you're, I'm gonna have you put me in touch with him because I would love to have Ian Eagle on the show. But um, I'm a huge Ian Eagle fan. I think he's better than Nance. I like Nance. Nance is more like a he's he's not as enthusiastic. I'm a Gus Johnson, Iron Eagle type of guy, but I think you know Nance is more like a golf. He's a great golf announcer and he's good at football too. But I never thought I thought Iron was always better. Well, I you know it's always been my style to not criticize broadcasters. You know, um, so I'm, I'm not going to start doing that now. I don't mind telling you people I like. Uh, I think I think Iron does a great job. Now, in fairness, uh, you know, per his choice, because of all of Jim's commitments, he's cut back, way back. I think I think uh, doing the Big Ten semifinals and finals are the only games he does all season before the NCAA tournament now. So, you know, on the flip side, Ian does, you know, uh, does lots of college basketball for CBS and uh, including conference tournaments and the he'll do the first four rounds against the NCAA tournament plus he's done Nets games for years so if you uh, just total up how many basketball games Ian has done versus Jim over you know like the last 25 years I mean Ian has probably done five times as many so when you when you get reps uh, you're better at it but no I think I mean I think I think Ian is great at whatever he does I agree I agree hey listen and I you're right Ian's all over the place he's like uh Kenny Albert with uh with the Rangers and the Knicks and, and the football, and he's all over the place, too. Some of these announcers, they're one end of the country to the other for months at a time. Yeah, well, especially Kenny with uh, the, when the Rangers were in the Stanley Cup final the last time. Yeah. Uh, he was he was doing, uh, I think, the Western Conference final 
the national telecast and uh that would have been that was still when nbc had the rights to it yep. and then he was doing the ranger games on the radio and they uh, you know so he's flying back and forth <laughs> i can't remember uh, you know obviously the rangers played the kings uh and the rangers uh, you know so he was flying back and forth across the continent you know day nightly after day doing so yeah but kenny uh I mean, Kenny is one of the few people who does all four of the major professional sports. Although I don't, I don't. Is Kenny still doing basketball? He I mean, he does he basketball. Does. You know what? Kenny does basketball on TV now for MSG for the Knicks. He does. I, I saw him the other team. night. The other night he did it. He yeah, did the Knicks game. See, we don't we don't have MSG Network on my cable system. Uh, so, um, but I know Kenny. Kenny used to do Big East basketball games back when I did them. Back when uh, when ESPN regional television would uh, do regionalization and syndicate, he didn't do a lot because his schedule wouldn't permit it. But uh, you know, but he's still one of the top uh, baseball play-by-play guys for Fox, and obviously is the top hockey guy for uh, TNT. Uh, I watched him do the Penguins Rangers game yesterday. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, he's good. He's good. He's know, good at hockey. He's good at whatever he does. He does, and he's also he's also. I, I only know Kenny a little bit. He's a very nice guy. And by the way, get back to Ian. Ian's one of the one of the greatest guys you would ever meet. Is he? You know? Yeah. You know what? I've heard that about him. I've heard that about him. And he, seen, and he seems like, you know, he started as an intern for, for Mike and the Mad Dog, and he just rose right up the ranks. Yeah, yeah, he did. And, uh, you know, when, when I read when he got the Final Four gig, uh, you know, I reached out to him and I said, facetiously, it's the same. They're going to stick you with a stiff, no fun guy like, uh, like Raftery. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> you know, he did Nets games with Raft forever. And the two of them are great together on the air. Of course, Bill, Bill's a close friend of mine. I, I've literally known Bill for over 50 years because he was hired as the coach at Seton Hall when I was uh, when I was a junior. Yeah. And I, I did the uh, the games on the student radio station. Uh, and back then, the the Seton Hall games were not on commercial radio, so they were only on the student radio station. So I, I I've known Bill. Uh, since uh, you know since my college days. And yeah, he's, he's not really going to give it up. He's going to do it all the way to the end, huh? Yeah, he yeah. loves it. Yeah, I mean, he you know he he did the final four on radio for years, and then when uh, I guess you know when uh, when CBS made the decision to not continue with Billy Packer, then uh, if, if memory serves me correct, they they went with Greg Anthony, and Greg might have only done it for one year, and then Greg was involved in an unfortunate uh, off the air incident, correct. which was a little embarrassing. So they. They uh, then they decided to go with uh, with Raff and Grant Hill on the three man booth. So so Raff didn't get the Final Four TV gig until uh, what maybe six seven years ago. It's just a guess. Yeah, I guess you're right because you're right. It was Billy Packer with Nance forever. Yeah, so it was great, and it was you know Bill is very very popular uh, in, in the business. I mean all all the coaches love him, and all the other announcers love him. I I actually got a chance to do a couple games with with Bill. His last year at ESPN, he you know he chose to leave ESPN because when the Big East was you know fell apart and then reconfigured, uh, ESPN didn't get the rights to it. Fox did, and and he had been so closely identified with the with the Big East right from the birth of the league. You know, first as a coach and then as an announcer, he, you know he wanted to continue to do Big East games, so he, uh, he he left ESPN. But I got a chance to work with him a couple of times since last season. At ESPN, that, that was a blast. Yeah, I love. Listen, I could talk about announcers all day with you. Um, the East Regional now, Madison Square Garden. I was looking at that, and you, know, you got you got you could have a possible Sweet Sixteen of Marquette, 
versus Providence. Now, Providence would need some help. They haven't played well. They didn't play well in the Big East tournament. And then Duke and Purdue. Imagine that would be a great MSG setup for a Sweet 16 regional and then a regional final. Yeah, it would be. Uh, I, uh, you know, when when people ask me who do you think is going to win, it's just a wild guess. You know, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's less accurate than a wild guess. But I, I really don't think Purdue is playing that well. I said they certainly deserve a number one seed, and they've had a great year. I would not be shocked if Purdue lost to Memphis in the second round. Okay, I would not be shocked. Uh, but I have them going out to Duke, losing to Duke in in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, I mean, I listen. You have no idea. I played this thing. I watch it all the time. Me and my friends used to skip school on Thursday. We used to leave at twelve to go watch the tournament. And I, I have never won. I've entered these bracket pools every year. I've never once even won one of the bracket pools I've been in. Right. <laughs> I mean, my wife has won a couple. I literally don't fill one out. Um, I never used to do it when I worked because I didn't have the time because um, if you had asked me to do this interview when I was still working, I would have said no because this day was always uh, perhaps the busiest single day of the year for me because I would have just uh, I would find out tonight on the Monday night. Uh, where I was going to do the first and second rounds of the NCAA Women's Tournament because the selection show okay. was always on a Monday night. It was uh, moved to Sunday this year because they added those four teams. Oh, they're 68 now teams. too? Yeah, and okay. they're starting their tournament on Wednesday, so they felt uh, they needed to move the selection show up 24 hours early to give those teams that they're playing on Wednesday, a chance to know where they were going and who they're playing and everything. But today was all about that. And then just wall to wall preparation, making your travel range. So I literally never had the time to fill out the brackets, but I never, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I realized filling out brackets and gambling are not the same thing. They're not even close to being the same. No, thing. no, but I've never, I've never been a gambler. Uh, I don't have anything against people who do gamble. I, I, but I always like watching, games and not having a vested financial interest in the outcome oh it's a nightmare it's a terrible feeling knowing you like you might lose I, money uh, i just think uh, you know uh, you know particularly you know why, why would i want to, you know take you know i'm a giant season or why would i want the giants to uh you know to make a decision late in the game which would uh, enhance my chance of winning my bet to have the giants cover when it wouldn't be the best strategic move for them you know like uh you know don't try to score the touchdown here. Just keep running the ball and run the clock out yeah. because you're up by four. You know. I agree. Listen, that's no, why I, I never played fantasy. Okay, I never good. To do that. Yeah, that's why I never played fantasy because I'd say, you know what? If you you want a quarterback that is not on not, not on a great team because he'd be throwing the ball more. You don't want your team right. to be winning and right. then you start running the ball. And also, as far as gambling goes, I've always said, I said, listen, there's a reason why the bookie or the 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 casino says. Pick whichever team you want. We'll take the other guy. And they continue to build these big, beautiful casinos. Yes. I don't know any yes. any you know gambler that's got big, beautiful houses. Yes, yes. My 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 addiction is watching sports, not betting on it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you there. I don't I don't have time for another addiction. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the big uh, one of the, the matchups I'm looking forward to the most in that first round is UConn Iona. I think it's fascinating. Yep. You got the whole thing with Patino, maybe St. John's, maybe Georgetown. You got UConn who's playing real well. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I mean, I think UConn will win because I think I think they're a much better team. It, I agree with you. It is fascinating. I think Patino's one of the great coaches in history, 
And uh, it would be the only thing that would make it even more interesting is if Jim Calhoun was still coaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the two of them had this unbelievable rivalry uh, going back to their early days of their career when they coached, uh, like, I don't know, like maybe three, four miles apart when Jim was the coach at Northeastern. And Rick was the coach at Boston University. And, and as Jim would describe it, they would both fight for, a, you know, a morsel of coverage in the Boston Globe and a pro town, which really doesn't cover college basketball much. But they had an intense rivalry. Uh, you know, and frankly, they didn't get along for years. But then, you know, they worked their way through that. And then, of course, then they coached against each other in the Big East with Rick at Providence and then with Rick also. At Louisville, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Rick's done a great job, but I, it doesn't surprise me. He's done a great job everywhere he's been, except when he was with the Celtics. <laughs> when he, uh, when he and the Knicks, right? Wasn't he with the Knicks? When he took, uh, I thought he did a great job at the Knicks. I mean, I thought they improved dramatically. Yeah, yeah, okay. You're right, they were better than this Knicks team. The only reason he left is because he left for the job at Kentucky. It's not like he... It's not like he said, well, I've had enough of uh, the NBA. I want to go back to college basketball. I mean, he left for, you know, this unbelievable job, Kentucky, and he did he did a phenomenal job there. You know, his last two years, they won the national championship. They lost in the finals in overtime. And then he went to the Celtics, and, uh, you know, I mean, Tubby Smith was a very fine coach, but he won a national championship in his first year with Rick Pitino recruited players, you know, in 1998. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a fascinating matchup, but UConn has better players. Uh, so I think uh, I think the game could be close. I mean, you know, most of these NCAA tournament games are close, but I, I certainly I would be very very surprised if UConn lost Iona. Yeah, I agree with you. So basically, everybody out there listening, pick Iona because that's probably, that's probably what'll happen. Yeah, and then I, do, I don't know if if um, if the seeds hold true, UConn will wind up playing the Gales in the first two rounds. Then they play the St. Mary's Gales in the second round if St. Mary's wins their 5 versus 12 matchup with VCU, which they may not, by the way. Yeah, I think VCU that's the 5-12 that everybody's, because everybody always picks a 5-12. I think that might be the one people are picking, but I think St. Mary's will win. And now what do you, a lot of these older coaches, except for Patino really, seem to be like, they don't like the, the, the new way things are done, where you could poach a player basically off your team. Like uh, there's coaches that are recruiting players off of your team and and how all the movement, what, what do you think about, do you like that? Do you not like that? I hate the movement. Uh, I hate it. I think um, I think it's terrible for fans because uh, you you don't see the same team. I mean, look at my alma mater, Seton Hall, for example. Mm. They have uh, like six new players in the team this year. You know, uh, and even UConn. Now, U- UConn, you know, UConn recruited well with getting Sonogo. And by the way, Seton Hall wanted Sonogo very badly because he played right down the street in Elizabeth. I don't blame him. He's a good player, uh, too. Right. And, um, but, you know, you've seen a lot of all these transfers this year. And then, and some of them, like the case with Nodefo, he only had one year of eligibility. Um, so, no, I think the transfer port, and then, and then to compound it, you have the thing with the uh, NIL uh, mm-hmm. and schools like Seton Hall just can't compete. They can't offer the same sort of NIL potential that a place like, uh, you know, like an ACC school can offer so you're going to see places like seton hall places like providence uh, rely on the portal transfer more and more uh, i was watching the ivy league championship game yesterday and you know the ivy league does not let graduate students play uh, even if they have another year of eligibility there's just there's a conference rule against it so uh, some of those people uh that played yet 
today uh, in the Yale Princeton game will be looking to go somewhere else, uh, you know, next year. And, you know, that rule has existed for you. It's changed everything. I mean, look, at I'm, I'm a big Notre Dame football fan. Notre Dame went into the portal to get the they, – their new quarterback was going to be before last season ended. Oh, okay. The, 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 guy, the guy who took over – That's the, right. Their starting quarterback got injured in the second week of the year. So the guy who started all year announced he was leaving before their bowl game. And, they, and then it was widely reported they were going to get the kid from Wake Forest. Uh, and and of course they did. So no, I think it's a very unseemly side of the sports, but there's there's probably no turning back. Yeah, no. Well, there's there, yeah, there's no you know it's out of it's out of the bag now. Yeah, speaking of Notre Dame, I actually went to oh I didn't go to because he's like twenty years younger than me. But uh, Jack Cohn, the quarterback from Notre Dame, he's from uh, he went to my high school. Mm-hmm. So he's from you know he's a Long Island kid, whatnot. Now with the Jim Beheim, he was clearly fired. He clearly wanted to stay. I think it's a, a bad situation because now there's going to be bad blood. You know, they got to have a Jim Beheim day. He's an older guy. You want to, you don't want them to have years of, of fighting where he doesn't doesn't come back. What do you think about everything that went on with Syracuse and Jim Beheim? Well, the fact that they did have the news conference to announce his retirement, and he was uh, introduced by the athletic director and the school chancellor was there, and his family was there, and the things he said that day. I think that means you don't have to worry about that. I think they squashed it. Uh, it was it was handled very poorly, uh, you know, leading up to what he said, uh, you know, in the post-game press conference after they got beat by Wake Forest on the shot at the buzzer. And that's a terrible way for him to go out. I think, yeah, I think Syracuse wanted to make a change. They have not, I mean, relatively speaking, you know, they've not been nearly as successful. Uh, in the ACC, uh, as they were in the Big East. By the way, which which schools who left the Big East to go to the ACC have been more successful? Since I said they the left? same thing. I said since they I mean, left the Pitt, Garden and the Big East, they haven't been the same. It was terrible until this year. When, you know, they they have turned the corner. Louisville was the exception to the rule. Louisville was very good at the ACC until the last two years and then this year how do you explain what happened my god could you ever envision that a louisville team would be as bad as they were this year (laughs) they would go awful i mean boston college is so far in over their head in the acc but at any rate you know syracuse uh uh you know and because jim's age and all that stuff i think it was getting more difficult to recruit in syracuse wanted to have some sort of succession plan. They very much wanted to keep it in the family. You know, it's been years since they named Mike Hopkins as the coach in waiting, remember? Yeah, oh, yeah, he yeah. He was an assistant there for years, and it's my <laughs> understanding uh, from someone uh, I know very well who once was an assistant at Syracuse at, with Mike Hopkins and worked under Beheim. Uh, and, and he confided in my friend that, um, you know, he would say, well, what am I going to do? You know, I'm getting all these offers. And Jim keeps saying, no, don't don't take that job. I'm only going to coach another year or two, and then this job will be yours. It's well, like- then finally, you know, after about three or four years of that, you know, Hopkins did take the job at the University of Washington. So, um, I mean, all those hard feelings. I mean, I don't envision, I don't think Beheim is going to stay away from the place. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, he's I mean, his that dad. Would complete, that would be completely contrary to what he said in the news conference the other day. Gotcha. It's a, it's a totally unique situation, um, you know, with a guy who stayed in one place. I mean, first of all, it says he went to school near where he, very near where he grew up, and he never left. Yeah. You know, he was there his entire career. You know, Jim Calhoun was at UConn forever. 
you know, he was at Northeastern before that, you know, and he didn't he didn't go to UConn as a student. He went to American International College, so Bayheim. I'm not sure I can think of another situation quite like that. No, I was going to say Shashevsky, but he coached Army. He didn't go to Duke. Right. He, well, yeah, he went, he went to West Point. He didn't go to Duke. So I, 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 I'm not sure I can think of a situation like that. And so, uh, no, I, I don't think you have to worry about that. And plus, you know, one of his guys got the job, so you don't have to worry about him being bitter because they didn't hire his guy, you know. Yeah. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't think you have to worry about that. I mean, the situation at UConn got – a little bit ugly because uh, you know the relationship between Jim Calhoun and Kevin Ollie changed after Kevin got the job. I mean, he very much wanted Kevin to get the job, uh, which is one year why one reason why he did not announce that he was retiring until well after the season because he wanted to kind of force UConn's hand into hiring Kevin because he, he feared that they would hire someone else. Bill Raffrey did the same thing with Hadi Mahan, by the way, when Bill left St. Hall. Right. He purposely didn't announce he was going to uh, re- re- resign, retire as a coach, until uh, well into the summer so that they would be, have no choice but to promote the guy that Bill wanted to get the job. And then, of course, Kevin did win a national championship in the second year, but then the relationship between Kevin and Jim soured. Uh, Kevin didn't want Jim around anymore. Jim stopped being around. Jim stopped going. And uh, and then, uh, but that relationship is not, it's not like that now. I mean, Jim has a very good relationship with uh, with Dan Hurley, and he, and he goes to games, and he's, uh, Dan, you know, calls him and asks for his input. I mean, why wouldn't you, you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. What an unbelievable resource to go to. So, no, I, I'm not the least, it was very sloppy the way it was handled, but I'm not the least bit concerned about there being bad blood moving forward so that Bayheim will, will never go back to a game the Carrier Dome. Now, speaking of handling things just badly, Alabama, they, they got their, their, I think, the best team heading into this tournament. They got the best player in Brandon Miller heading in, in the country. Then there's this whole shooting thing and everything that went on, and I don't, I personally don't think he should be playing. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, very tough situation. Uh, since uh, the authorities say that he, uh, you know, didn't break any laws and he wasn't considered a suspect, but the optics of having someone acknowledge that a uh, a teammate uh, of his reached out to him and said, you know, I, I guess it was done electronically in the text can you bring this gun and then him actually bringing the gun? I mean, yeah, it's... I, I, I don't mean to laugh. There's nothing funny about it. But, but yeah, you know, how dumb could possibly, you be? What could possibly go wrong with that plan, huh? Yeah. It, I... So it was a terrible decision he made, and the optics of allowing him to play, you know, while the thing was being investigated were terrible. Um, I think they should have at least sat him down initially, uh, but you know, now that he's not, you know, he, 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 the, the, the authorities have indicated he's not a suspect. He's not a person of interest in the crime. They've handed down indictments. You know, the, the mm-hmm. former, his former teammate who was kicked off the team, the capital has, murder has been, has been indicted for murder, but yeah, they, hand, and then of course, Nate Oates said something. I don't think he meant to be flippant, but what he said came out the wrong way. So yeah, I think it was I think it was handled terribly by the university, but on the other hand, I don't know that it would be fair to just never let the guy play again. Yeah, I mean, listen, they I, I agree. It's hard because like 
he brought the gun to a, a place where it someone got killed with that very gun. It looks bad. And then on top of it, the coach making the comments, and then they come out and do the pat down on the on the introductions. Like it, they right. missteps all over the place from Alabama. Well, it does. Now, in fair, you know, in, in the interest of uh, of transparency, uh, they used to do that pat down before the incident, not because of the incident. Yeah, but come on, it either was, way, it, right? It was, it was done, as I understand, to mimic when you go through screening uh, in an airport that you're quote ready for takeoff. So. He didn't do it to make light of that incident, but of course the judgment in continuing to do something which prior to the incident was benign, the judgment to continue doing it was was just terrible. Yeah, it's it's completely tone deaf because I I don't care why you did it. You know what everyone's going to think when you do it. Like, and they sat there before the game, and they're like, "Want to do the pat down thing?" And he's like, "Yeah, okay, let's do it." And the coach didn't say nothing. The the problem is uh, they're kids, and the reality is some of them don't know. Some of them don't know, and I'm not saying that as an excuse for them. It's just it's a sad reality that uh, you know that their their judgment is so poor at times. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, they're kids. You're right. They are kids. Eighteen, nineteen. I mean, this, is, this isn't the same thing. It's not even close to being the same thing. But I think what the Celtics did with uh, Ime Udoka had to be done. Okay, mm-hmm. I think uh, the Nets. Um, you know, according to all reports, were interested in hiring him when they fired Steve Nash. And I think the optics of doing that, given why Yudoka was suspended by the Celtics for the season, were awful. And the Nets moving in another direction was the wise thing to do. But do I think M.A. Yudoka should not be allowed to coach ever again? Of course not. I, I would be shocked if, if he was not a head coach for an NBA team next season. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Well, because he's good. If you're good enough, you, you'll get another chance. Right. And I mean, he, you know, what he did was actually, you know, terrible judgment again, you know, awful judgment. But uh, not, not by the way, not even close to what the other incident we're talking about, you know, bringing a gun Correct. to an incident that resulted in the, in the murder of a, of a human being. Not even close. But, uh, you know, certainly, certainly what he did is not, does not mean he shouldn't ever get a chance to pursue his profession again. Agreed. Now you're a, you're a forty year Giant season ticket holder. I am. Okay, so I see am. you're one of the guys who kept me on the waiting list when I was a kid. <laughs> well, um, to answer your question, I am uh, figuratively a forty plus year uh, in that I've been going for that long. The, the tickets were, weren't actually in my name until the new stadium opened. But I've been going to all the home games since uh, since 1980. Uh, one, of my, one of my closest friends, Bob, was Dave Jennings, the Giants. Oh, uh, well, yeah, the punter. Yeah, so, and a broadcaster, uh, good broadcaster, too. So I, I used to use Dave's tickets, uh, you know, starting back uh, around, I guess, 1980 was when I started going to every game. And then uh, when the new stadium opened, uh, uh, my buddies and I bought uh, Dave's eight tickets. Do you like uh, the stadium? Uh, I do. I do. Okay. I do. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's all right. Seat, my, my seat is much better in the new stadium than it was uh, in the old stadium. The old stadium, I was right on the goal line, which isn't a bad seat. The problem is I was right on the aisle. Okay. And so 95% of the action was to my right. And people, you know, you go to enough sporting events, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. People just constantly walk up and down the aisle. 
and they don't let the fact that the ball is being snapped deter them from doing that. Yeah, that's the ushers are supposed to stop them. They even stop you in basketball at the Garden now, I noticed, because they always did it in hockey. But now well, they I noticed, didn't. I noticed my son and I went to uh, the Knicks Celtics game at TD Garden a week ago last night, and I noticed in the tunnel in our section, uh, you know, you would see the sign as you were returning from the restroom or the concession area. It said something like, please do not, please wait until there's a pause in the action to return to your seat. So I wish, yeah, I, I always used to threaten to go to a theater and steal one of those, uh, you know, those ropes that yeah. they would have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And bring it and smuggle it into the giant stadium and stick it right next to my seat so no one go up and down the aisle. But yeah, so I, uh, in the new stadium, we are in the end zone, but uh, I purposely picked a seat in the middle of the row. So the only time my view is obstructed is if someone in one of the first 29 rows in front of me stands up. But that's okay, because if you stand up, then you can see over them. Uh, so, um, and I'm used to, from doing play-by-play, I'm used to watching games through my binoculars. So even though I'm in the end zone and if the ball's all the way down the other end of the field, it's quite a distance away with my binoculars, it looks like it's right in front of me. Yeah, see, what I, the way I always pick tickets is I always say they give the best seats in the house as far as watching the game to the announcers. So you always want to sit as, as I, I always, I'd rather sit up a little bit. I'd rather sit in that middle section, but I usually sit in the lower rows of the upper deck at the Meadowlands. Right at the 50-yard line, or as close to the 50-yard line as possible, because that's where the best place to watch the game. You know, I don't need to be close to these guys because they're 20 years old, you know? Right, especially especially in a, a sport like football. It's less so. I mean, you know, I've never been to a men's Final Four, and frankly, I have no interest, no, no interest. in going unless someone could guarantee me that I could get a seat where I could actually see. They played at the football when- stadiums. Right, you can't. You just you're way too far away. You just can't see. I agree a thousand. I, that's funny you said that because I've always said that. I said I wouldn't even want to go to a Final Four. Play what in, in in Lucas Oil Stadium, and I'm sitting in the corner right. of the end zone. Or even at right. Syracuse, they do that. That when they when they open up Syracuse, the dome. Right, right, right. They do, and the, those seats must be absolutely miserable. Yeah. Now, as far as the Giants go, uh, we got we got Barkley on the tag. We got uh, Jones back. Me, I'm somebody who I think I think running backs. I think Barkley's like 65 years old in running back years. Now, I I don't know if I want him long term. Do you want them to work something out with Barkley? Well, define long term. Let's say three years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't want him six years, but I want him three years. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's. Uh, fair. I mean, I think he's such a huge part of their offense, particularly since he is also so good at catching the ball. Uh, in fact, I wish they would throw the ball to him more often. I wish they would. Uh, I wish they would manage to get a get him more touches per game. You know, not just not just handing off, but you know, get him out of the perimeter. You know, line him up on the line of scrimmage, and uh, you know, get him in space. Do you think it was worth it taking him number two? Um. Yeah, I do. Uh, I think that goes contrary to uh, to the to the normal thought process. But uh, I think because he is so multi-talented and, I mean, he was just unbelievable his rookie year, really, really good his second year, and then he was really, really good last year. Now, in between, he was hurt. You know, like a friend of mine said, why are the Giants trading Booker? Why don't they trade Barkley? I said, the guy has only had is only one year. This guy's a big baseball fan. Okay. I said, would you say that about a pitcher coming off Tommy John surgery if he didn't pitch very well? If he got, you know, he pitched like the last month of the season after he had Tommy John surgery, 
wouldn't you say, well, you got to give him another? Well, you know, why would you not do the same thing with Barkley? Did you really expect him to be as good in the season following a torn ACL as he was before the torn ACL? I mean, the only guy I think that ever did that was Adrian Peterson of the Vikings. Yes, yes. He had a phenomenal year after tearing his ACL. So I think Barkley was, uh, you know, really, really close last year to the guy. And, and we still haven't seen what he would be like behind a really stud offensive line. I mean, our line's getting better. I think we have the problem. I think we have the problem south of the two tackles. I know we have it south of one tackle. Yes. Uh, but I think the other kids on the right side is, is, is going to be a, a really good player. And, uh, and I think they'll probably be better with the three guys in the middle. Uh, plus, Remember all the injuries they had. You know, we haven't seen what he's capable of doing in an offense with a quarterback that now has experience under his belt and has demonstrated with the experience that he's obviously much better than he was before. I mean, how many interceptions did Jones throw last year? Five? Yeah, he threw five. And remember, he used to fumble the ball every time he got touched. Right, exactly. And then, and then we saw, particularly in the Vikings playoff game, what Jones can do when you make, uh, you know, when you make him running the football, uh, you know, part of your offense, you know, he, you know, they wouldn't have won that game without the yards he gained on design plays. Yeah, and he made himself want, a ton of money to, too. You don't want to do that for seventeen games. You're going to get your guy hurt. Exactly. But imagine what Barkley could do behind a really good offensive line and an exper- and a guy that now has. Uh, how many years of experience does Jones have under his belt? I've lost track. He's a, he's he five. This will be his fifth year, right? So uh, so yeah, no, I, I do want him back. I think you know the reports we're reading had indicated that the Giants, you know, are continuing to talk. You know, they would rather not, uh, you know, stick with the franchise tag. I, th- I think they have until July seventeenth to work something. Yes, out. yes. And so uh, I think it would also be in their financial interest, just like it was with Jones, to work it out because it will result in more cap space so that they can do other stuff like, you know, re-signing uh, Love, which it looks like they're going to do. So, no, I, I absolutely, I, I don't think, but I think Barkley is the atypical running back. I, I wouldn't say uh, that you, you'd pick, uh, use a number two pick in the draft every year to pick a running back, but a guy like Barkley, uh, yeah, I, I, I did like. That. Yeah, he's kind. Of, he's kind of like a Christian McCaffrey type of you know do it all yeah. type of running back. But I think if they got a couple good receivers for Jones to throw to, and the way Jones runs the ball, teams don't really win with running. Like you look at these, look at the Chiefs running back, and you teams don't win with big running backs anymore. I just feel like maybe they don't need them. Maybe they could use the money elsewhere. Well, I think if you can do both, uh, that's the ideal situation. So. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see what they do. Uh, you know, at the wide receiver position this off season. I mean, I don't. Don't you have a lot more confidence in the people who are making those decisions? Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Get rid of Galladay. Galladay finally don't let the door hit you on the way out. Oh my goodness! I, in a way, I feel sorry for him because I don't think it's a question of him not trying. I mean, everything I've read indicated that he worked hard at practice and everything. But, boy, that turned out to just be an absolute. Imagine the only touchdown. He led the league in touchdowns. Yeah, well, he was thrown by in the final game, him. right? And then and then the only one he ever catches is in the final game when you're playing all of your reserves. And the guy who threw it is a guy who was only in the game because you didn't want your either your first or second string quarterback getting hurt. And, you know, like five seconds after the game, he, he signs – as a quarterbacks coach with another franchise, you know, it reminded me of those 
those god awful replacement football games during the nineteen eighty seven strike, you know. So yeah, it'll go down in the books. Is the only one he ever caught was that one. Yeah, yeah. He listen. He's one of the worst people to come to New York. He's right up there. You know, Robbie Alomar and then players who were really good who came to New York and just kind of fell on their face. Yeah, Robbie Almar really was a pretty bad one. Yeah, we hey, listen, the Mets almost took, ruined. You know, he was a short bet Hall of Famer. The Mets almost ruined that for him. Uh, and, and I, and I, I think Roberto Almar is might be one of the three greatest second basemen in the history of baseball. Yeah, and maybe the three so worst good. Mets second baseman ever. He was, he was so good at every part of the game. You know, he had power. He was a switch hitter. He's an unbelievable fielder. Uh, but yeah, he. His career sure went downhill when when he came to the Mets. That, that didn't work out too well. The Robbie Cano thing didn't work out too well either. Yeah, listen, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out much well for for us Mets fans. It that you know that's our cross to bears. I'm a Mets fan, right. so it's it's right. a tough it's a tough life. But you know, I got the at least I have the Giants. Most it's it's Jets, Mets, Islanders. Yeah, you well, know you gotta like you gotta like your manager, right? I love the manager. Love the manager. I got a man. I got the jersey. I went and got the jersey of our manager. That's how much I like the manager. I don't. I don't think Buck gets nearly enough credit for the job he did with the Yankees. He inherited an absolute mess. Yeah, and he, he left the championship them, team. He made them very, very competitive. They were very competitive in '93, and then you know in '94, you know who knows? They might have been a World Series team. They were in first place when the strike hit. Uh, I don't think he gets nearly enough credit. Not only him, but Gene Michael, because. Uh, they really turned around the the culture of that team. Just like I, I would say the same thing about Ray Perkins. I think the Giants' culture changed in a good way when Ray Perkins took over because they weeded out some of the players who were really a cancer on the team, which is far worse of a problem in football uh, than it is in baseball. You know, because of the nature of the sport. When but when you don't ever went pulling in the same direction. Uh, you know, and you know Perkins got him in the playoffs in the in the third year, and they, uh, you know, and George Young obviously drafted very very well, and then uh, things uh, were set up where uh, you know with Parcells in his second year they were able to start heading in a in the right direction. And they got LT. That you know they got LT is basically what happened. He could wreck any game. Well, yeah, well, remember they also drafted Sims. You know, they drafted Sims in the first George Young's first draft. His first pick was Phil Sims. And, you know, once once Sims stopped getting injured, he became an unbelievable quarterback, you know, border Hall of Fame type guy. Yeah, he's borderline Hall of Fame. But they put everybody in the Hall of Fame, too, in the NFL. Don't forget about that. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> when, 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 Sim, when Sims uh, got over the injury bug, and remember, he, you know, Parcells made the decision to go with Scott Bruner, you know, in his first training camp, and then Sims wanted out, but cooler heads prevailed. And then he realized after that season that I, I, I have to trade one of them. So he traded Bruner, uh, who's a good friend of mine, by the way. I did I did college football with Scott for about 15 years. Okay, wow. Okay. And uh, and then, uh, you know, and then in 84, uh, when Phil, you know, didn't have to look over his shoulder, and he managed to stay healthy through for 4,000 yards that year. And, they, you know, they made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. And then the next year they won another playoff game. And then the year after that they won it all. And then he he actually remained amazingly healthy for the, for the remainder of his career. Yeah, well, he you know except that he he didn't play in the ninety in the Super Bowl twenty five either. Yeah, well, no, that's that's a big that's a big exception. But they were also they wouldn't have made the Super Bowl without him. They were uh, 
you know, they had only lost one game. He got injured in the game where they lost their second game that year. Uh, but their record was something like, uh, weren't they? Yeah, something like I think they were 12 th- and 2 when he got hurt. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. Had, something like they, they were. Had, they actually had two losses because remember, they and the 49ers looked like they were headed for uh, an undefeated showdown in Monday Night Football that year. And then they both lost the week before they played. Giants lost to the Eagles. And then they lost to the 49ers in that Monday night game. Uh, and then the third game they lost was in that Buffalo game when Sims uh, broke his foot. I'm not saying they would have won the game if he didn't get hurt because they were already losing. Uh, but, uh, you know, all credit goes to Hostetler for what he did. But, you know, the Giants don't get to that Super Bowl without without the season that Sims had. Now, and you know what? People forget about Jeff Hostetler. I mentioned it to a, someone who's younger than me. I'm 40, but uh, someone who was younger than me. And they, I was like, Jeff Hostetler. I showed him a picture, and he was like a Giants fan. And he's like, not nah. of him, of Hosteller on the Raiders. And I was like, who, remember this guy? And he didn't know. And I'm like, how do you not know Jeff Hosteller? Yeah, he's a great athlete, Hosteller. He's a tremendous athlete. I don't know if you remember during his rookie year, they, they used him on special teams a couple of times. Did they really? Do what, as a streaker yeah. or as a, or a returner? I think as a gunner, maybe. Okay. Uh, but he was unbelievable. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the big plays in Super Bowl twenty five was his ability to not fumble. Yes, when, when he got hit, the, the, the blind side. That's right. Just holding on to the football with one hand, and, you know, it was not easy to do that. And you know, big difference between giving up two points and seven there, and then uh, he, you know, wide right for, and then wide right forever never happens. You know, they win the game by if they score a touchdown. Yeah, yeah, they did. That was one of the that was one of the great wins. And you know, it, it's interesting. I, I know that uh, John Mara said after they beat the Patriots. In Super Bowl Forty Two, he called it the greatest win in the history of this franchise, and I guess you could argue that. But when people ask me, was that? Uh, I don't think I could rank their four Super Bowl wins because no. all four of them were very special to me for for different reasons. You know, the first one because it was the first one. You know, and I was a huge Sims fan, and you me know, too. I was and, huge and, Sims, and in his big day, in the big spotlight, he played so flawlessly. Twenty-one. What was it? Twenty-one of twenty-five. 22 for 25. Okay. One of them was dropped, and one of them they missed the pass interference call. That's right. But he also got he also got the deflection with the McConkey touchdown. He did. So he got some help he there. So he and then also in those in that postseason, I think he threw nine touchdown passes and no interceptions. So yeah. it wasn't just that game; he was flawless in all three of the of the playoff games. And then, of course, the second one when they beat Buffalo, they. Uh, was you know so hard to win that you know holding a team which scored I yeah. think Buffalo scored fifty one points the week before. Well, they held. They didn't give them the ball. They didn't. That's how they. That's how they won. And uh, you know Belichick comes up with this concept of a two man defensive line. You know, and just invited Thurman Thomas to beat them, and and they held Buffalo to, to nineteen points. That was an unbelievable. And then and the plus the offense. Uh, you know, uh, with clock management, you know, they held on to the ball. They had that. Didn't they have like a 10? They had a 12 minute drive or something out of, the, out of halftime. It was like, oh, uh, OJ Anderson. And that's the what won him the MVP. The Patriots were both tremendous uh, for, you know, for different reasons. Uh, you know, the one beating a team that was perfect and, uh, and then plus doing it. You know, where I live, you know, I live really at the height of the Boston, you know, geographically, the Boston New York rivalry. I live in Cheshire, Connecticut. Yeah, it's yeah, right on the line. State. So, I mean, I have neighbors on both sides of me who are, you know, you literally have some people, siblings, uh, one roots for the Red Sox and one roots for the Yankees in this neck of the woods. And um, so uh, 
I'm so tired. I'm a, I shouldn't say I'm tired. I'm amused at when Patriots fans would, would uh, uh, you know, just uh, uh, set aside that Giants win and say, well, it was a lucky catch. I, let me tell you something. No, if no. If the team I rooted for allowed the other team to go the length of the field to score two go-ahead touchdowns in the fourth quarter, which is what the Patriots did, I would shut my mouth. And the throw to Manningham down the sideline was every bit as important to start that drive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was the second. Oh, that one. was the other Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, but but, but uh, that with that I'm throw about the first one. Correct, correct. The helmet catch. I don't think, I don't think there was anything lucky about the Tyree catch. I think it would have been it would have been lucky if you or I caught that ball. I yeah, mean, you I, don't think I, you don't I, consider I, that lucky. I I think the same thing. Say that again. You don't consider the Tyree catch lucky? Not at all. I mean, I consider it a little bit. Here's the part that was lucky. It was lucky that the Giants didn't get caught for holding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Eli was, you know, Sean O'Hara had a fistful of jersey. Uh, And Eli, who obviously was not known for his escapability, managed to get out of there. And once he got out of there, he did what you're supposed to do. He looked down the field, he saw Tyree, and he threw it right to him. Now, the ball was over his head. It was high. But, you know, catchers throw the ball to second base on stolen base attempts. Sometimes they throw the ball high, and these these guys are unbelievable. I just have to shut this alarm off so it won't make noise. All right. I'm sorry. Um, you know, uh, you, you know the deal. If you if you just tell someone, jump as high as you can and we'll measure it, uh, uh, and then instead throw a ball way over their head and yeah. they have a target to go. So Tyree jumped as high as he could, and, and Harrison did everything he could to try to dislodge the ball, which resulted in Tyree being only able to make use one hand to make the catch. And it was against his helmet, and with all of his strength, he managed to keep it against his helmet. I don't consider that luck at all. Uh, you know, you know, when you put it like that, you might, you're might you right. And it could have been in the grasp, lucky. too. The ref could have blown the whistle. It would be lucky if you did it. It would be lucky if I did it. Oh, you never see me but, catch, no, Bob. You never plus, see me catch. Plus the throw, I mean, Patriots fans would lead you to believe it was like a punt. You threw, oh, it wasn't. He no, no, no. Saw him and he, threw, he threw it 40 yards. He threw it right to him. It was just a little bit over his head. Yeah, I, listen. That's like that's like Red Sox fans saying that Mookie would have beat Buckner in the bag anyway. <laughs> I, I, I was I was in the ballpark for that. Oh, you were you? You know, yeah. That, that, yeah uh, not, not not only that, but um, I was in the ballpark. Uh, I was a Yankee fan a got a ticket to that thing, and those Mets fans. No, 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 I, I was there working. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, a local TV sports anchor at the ABC affiliate in Connecticut, located in New Haven. And, uh, you know, the other, the CBS, NBC, and Fox stations are in Hartford. Now, Hartford is definitely much more Boston country okay. than New York, much more so. New Haven's much more New York, but it's really a great mixture. And then if you go further south into Fairfield County, it's, you know, it's much more New York country. You're not going to find a lot of Boston fans down there. So I covered every Red Sox and Mets home postseason game in 86 with one exception on on one uh on one occasion i think the mets and red sox were both home in the lcs okay so every day i mean every day for three weeks i got in the car with a photographer we either headed south on 95 or north on 95 so i was there um, as a matter of fact it was widely reported that there were thousands of giants fans watching it was a monday night uh, game right Game seven of the World Series on their portable TVs yes. at Giant Stadium during the Redskins game. As near as I can tell, there was one Giants fan 
watching the Giants Redskins game on a portable TV <laughs> during Game Seven of the World Series. Was that, that was, was that me. the game Theismann broke his leg? No. Okay. No, the Giants lost that game. Okay. The game they the game the Theismann broke his leg. They lost that game. Uh, uh, I think it was the year before. And okay. Of course, Theismann never played a game. So no. So no. Jay Schrader was the quarterback. Jay Schrader in, wow. in '86. And I t- I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Bob Stanley. The Red Sox relief pitcher is from Kearney, New Jersey, and he's a big Giants fan. And and again, my buddy Dave Jennings told me that. And he said, when you're covering the Red Sox in the postseason, you know, go up and introduce yourself and tell them you're a friend of mine. So I did, and uh, and Bob was nice enough to be a live guest during a, a live shot during the Six Thought News one night. Mm. And he knew, uh, so it started off by talking about the Giants, and he saw me. Uh, it was during uh, which game would have that been the World Series? Game two of the World Series. The Giants were playing in Seattle. They lost the, only, the last game they lost that year in '86. And uh, he saw me on the field during batting practice, and he could see I had an earplug in my ear. And he said, "Are you listening to the Giants game?" And I said, "Yeah." And he kept coming by and asked me what the score was. This is during batting practice of a World Series. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Now fast forward another eight days. It's a Monday, and we're back at Chase Stadium. It's Game 7 World Series. And after the game ends and the Red Sox, you know, lose in horrific fashion. Remember, they were also ahead in Game 7. Um, That's right, and yeah. And then Strawberry hit the home run. we in the tunnel at Chase Stadium, and uh, the Red Sox players start filing out of the clubhouse and walking down this hallway toward their bus. And I saw Stanley, and there were like maybe 10, 12 people between me and him. And it was kind of pedestrian gridlock, so he was walking slowly, and obviously he looked very sad, as they all did, as you can imagine. And, you know, he kind of saw me, and I, I waved to him, and he nodded, you know, because we had talked a couple of times during that World Series. Mm-hmm. And then I asked my buddy, I said, you think I should tell him that the Giants won? He said, <laughs> you out of your mind? They just lost Game 7 of the World Series. You think he's going to care? I said, yeah, you're probably right. And about 30 seconds later, I said, the hell, the hell with it. So I said, Bob. And he looked over, and I said, Giants won. And he nodded, didn't change his expression. And then he turned around, and he, yeah, he says, what was the score? <laughs> see, Jesse, he did care. He, so did, he care. did care. So I, I provided the guy a little solace on one of the saddest days of his life. <laughs> That's fine. That's a great story. Well, listen, I could talk to you all day, Bob. I mean, listen, I've already held you here longer than I said I would. Um, we're going to let you go. Thank you for everything. His name is Bob Picozzi, longtime ESPN, Fox Sports, college basketball, college football. Bob, thank you so much for a couple minutes. Okay. It was my pleasure, Bob. Enjoy, enjoy the tournament. All right. Thank you. How about that? Thank you, Bob Picozzi, ESPN's Bob Picozzi. Uh, listen, great job. Great job by him. We appreciate him coming on. That was a, a I could have talked to him forever. And that, that's what that's what I love. He was a, a great job. So that's going to do it for us. I know this was a long, long episode of uh, the weekend wrap up. It's usually not this long. Brett and I will be back with you on Friday. We will be wall to wall NCAA tournament. It's it's it will be in the middle of the Friday Friday games. It's always one of our favorite shows. What it was last year, and uh, we hope you listen to it. But we hope you enjoyed this show. Again, don't forget to, to enter your bracket into our pool. It's the ESPN Tournament Challenge is the name of the app. Or you know, fill out your bracket on ESPN.com. And the name of the group is 
Locked Up Sports 2023, and you can enter two brackets. And hey, have some fun with it. So we're almost at the uh, the tip off of the body of the tournament, which is Thursday through Sunday. It's four of the best sports days of the year. Enjoy the tournament, everybody. We will talk to you Friday, so we'll be there Friday evening with you, walking through those those, those games. And it's always, uh, like I said, it's always one of my favorite days of the year. So have a good uh, week. Enjoy some basketball. And we will talk to you Friday. Thanks again to Bob Picozzi. Great job. And uh, I'll talk to you Friday, everybody. See ya.